Hi, Bradley. Well, we've covered a lot of real estate in these past 10 episodes. Uh, the goal from the very beginning was to develop a podcast that addressed beginning band all the way to adult music making. So here we are, delivering on our promise. Yeah. In this episode, we visited with six adult musicians and learned about their musical journeys and why they continue to make music. Um, one thing that I really found interesting was just the diversity of career paths with um, all six of them. I know, you know, conducting the Encore Wind Ensemble and the Metalist Concert Band, I'm still amazed at the range of career paths amongst all these, you know, extraordinary musicians. Minnesota, you know, is a unique place in this regard. Last time I counted, there were 238 community bands. That's alone. awesome. And then you, you add on the community choirs, mm -hmm. which is like the land of choirs. The land then, of 10,000 choirs, they say. And then community orchestras. Look at the number of adults making music. It's really pretty remarkable. Yeah, it really is. Hello, Band in Minnesota listeners. Welcome to this podcast that works to address the hottest topics on the minds of Minnesota band directors. My name is Bradley Mariska. And I'm Jerry Lucart. And we'll be joined by colleagues and friends from around Minnesota. Our first guest in this episode of Band in Minnesota grew up on the western edge of Minnesota in the Red River Valley. She attended Korea College in Moorhead and has enjoyed a career as a performer and a teacher. Knowing what I know of her, I think you'll really enjoy her story and what motivates her to continue making music such an important part of her life. I'm very pleased to welcome Jan Scholl. Well, I grew up in Moorhead, Minnesota, um, and my parents were both musicians. Um, they were music educators, but it was my dad who really, um, I, I was much more drawn to the instrumental side and he he was a, a trumpet player, and um, so that's what I desperately wanted to do. I, I, we, I started off taking piano lessons in third grade, and I enjoyed them, but I, it, I was just biding my time till I could be in my dad's band. In addition to your parents, who were some of your other major influences in your journey? Well, I had, I was fortunate to, even though Moorhead is sort of an isolated place, it has three colleges in town. And, um, and so I was able to hear, hear good music. I, I started taking private lessons in ninth grade with one of the college teachers uh, in town. So I had good instruction. And then I think one of, the, one of the big influences in my life, and it turned out to be really prophetic, was, um, a gentleman by the name of Nels Vogel. I don't know if you know that name. I do not. He ran um, a great music store in town. Um, it it had um, huge inventory as far as as print music, um, instruments, all that. It was a full service kind of music store. Um, really great people that were knowledgeable running it, and every year he uh, put on a clinic for music educators in the upper Midwest. Um, he would bring in one of the service bands from DC and Fred Fennell and, mm -hmm. and Doc Severinsen. 
those those three components were almost here they're, they're almost every single year army band was in town uh, my senior year for that conference but i was on a tour with the college orchestra so i was out mm. of town for that one now i had just done my senior recital and he said nell said to me well do you have a a recording i'd like to you to to meet these people and i said well i'll be out of town so do you have a recording that you could give me and i said well i've just done my senior recital um so he always had a party saturday night uh for all the educators and the the musicians and and everything and um so he took samuel Laboda, who was the commanding officer at yeah. that time out to his to Nelson's Cadillac, where he had an eight-track tape player. <laughs> and he, and he put For our listeners, I'm not sure everybody knows what that looks like. Yeah. But, but you had to go to the car to use it, right? Yep, yep. That's and he funny. played my senior recital for him, and uh, he said, "Well, have Jan come out and, and audition." So I went out to D.C., Washington D.C., where they're located, and uh, went through the formal audition process. And wind the clock forward, the and you won the job. I got the job, yeah. So describe yeah. the job to our listeners, because they don't know what we're talking about. So um, the job was uh, being a clarinetist in the, the Army Band, the United States Army Band Pershing Zone. So now the central question of this interview is, why do you keep making music as an adult? What, what motivates you now? Because you had this wonderful career. You kind of been there, done that. So yeah. what, what is it about now that keeps you practicing and playing the clarinet and performing? There's never a been there, done that for me with music. Mm. It, it, it just always, um, it draws me in. It, it just, I can't get away from it. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it just is kind of a, a, it goes right to my soul. And, and I, I just need to play. Our next interview is with Lee Sackett, the owner of Lee J. Sackett Incorporated, a tractor and vehicle restoration and repair business based out of Owatonna, Minnesota. Lee's conversation focuses on how music continues to be an integral part of his life and has been since he was a child. Today, his children are following in his footsteps with a passion for music by playing in the school band and the church's praise team. But Lee's best story is probably about how he feels that it was music that helped him get through engineering school. So right now, um, I, I play in the, I guess, the section leader of the percussion section in the Metalist Concert Band, and I'm on the board of directors there. Um, I also am on the staff at the Owatonna High School for the marching band there. Anything to do with with music in the community, I, I seem to find myself getting involved. Um, I do teach some private drum lessons and I'm really active in the church music groups. Um, and my kids are following in my footsteps in that regard and, and they are part of the praise team and do stuff with us also. But what I do today is I own a an antique tractor and vehicle restoration business. Um, and, and it I guess the easiest way to describe it is 
it's like one of those TV shows uh, where they're restoring things and, and working on old equipment and taking stuff that looks like junk and it comes out months later looking brand new. Um, the, the reason we don't have a TV show, I've been told, is that we don't have enough drama in the shop. So, uh, which, which I'm glad not to have. You're, but, uh, I'll take that trade off. Yeah, yeah. But we have 17 employees and, and uh, a shop in southern Iowa also. And we, we service the local farming community also and sell parts. And I think the reason that I made it through engineering school is because of music. Um, and, and it has been a part of my life, um, my entire life. But, but it's what um, really, I think, made me uh, a better engineer and certainly a better human being. I was on the corporate path. I always wanted to own my own business and, and be a CEO of some sort. But I, I also just continued to play music. I, I wrote all the music for our wedding and we had a brass quintet and that was a great exploration for me. But I believe that long after my career as a business owner and engineer and all of that stuff ends, I will still have music. And and that'll be the thing that, that I probably do the longest part of my entire life. Why Why should a high school senior who's going to college continue playing music, even if they're not going to study it as a major or a minor or become a, a professional musician? I would, I would use my grandpa as an example. Um, he, he, by the time he passed away and, and he was a, he was a band director, lifelong musician. Um, he actually believes that, uh, when he was, when he was imprisoned during world war two, that the fact that he had a harmonica saved his life because on Christmas Eve, the soldiers, the German soldiers made him play the harmonica for them during their Christmas party, basically. And he figured he probably, if he wouldn't have been able to produce, he, he may not have made it. So uh, wow. just amazing how music impacted his life. And, and we have pictures of him with a string bass in, in Europe during the war and, and stuff. And, but then growing up in Bloomington, um, you know, from when I was in second grade on, the medalist band was was always there. And one of the things that was really neat is how vertically integrated the music was throughout that school district um, at that time. And and my understanding is, and of course Earl, Earl Benson was um, kind of the key component to founding the medalist band and was the band director at Jefferson while I was there and stuff. But but the band directors were close. They all got together and met and talked and went through what was going on. And, and there was a lot of planning that went to making that program successful. And one of the things was to have the medalist band be in the eyes of the children so that they had something to look forward to as adults and to see that that's something that you can do for your whole life. So it was always a dream for me to be able to play in that group and and I, as I think it was, I think the, I think my year, the summer after my freshman year of college, I was invited to, to join the group and, and I played um, in the summers while I was in college. Next up is Maggie Adi, who remembers her first musical experience as that old beat up piano that was sitting in her house at home and the many experiences along the way since then. 
I'm Maggie Adi. I work in community development and affordable housing, and I play oboe with the Encore Wind Ensemble. I grew up in Davenport, Iowa, which is on the East Coast, if you will, part of the Quad Cities, um, and started, I grew up, there was an old piano in my house that I always messed around with, um, started lessons, piano lessons in second grade, so it was at like eight, um, and then a few years later, um, through my elementary school band program, started on oboe, um, really wanted to play saxophone actually, but my since I could actually make a sound on it, my band director was like, you should probably go with the oboe. So that's what I did. Um, so that's what, like 20 some years of oboe playing. Um, went, ended up in Minneapolis because I went to the U. Um, I didn't study music, I studied urban studies, but always was involved in the campus orchestra. Um, took lessons off and on for a few semesters. Um, and then when I graduated, you know, finished grad school, um, I wanted to keep playing. And um, I do play by myself, but it's just not quite the same thing as getting to be part of a larger group. So um, found the Encore Wind Ensemble um, just as an opportunity to keep playing, to do something that's totally not connected to my work. I studied urban and regional planning, completely unrelated to music. Um, so I get to keep that as a passion and, and not as a job, but um, I think it's also a chance, you know, being part of a group kind of is a, puts a responsibility on me to keep up with my musicianship, to be practicing, to be the best player that I can be, um, and to keep pushing me that way. And then I just get to play with some really amazing musicians, um, with Jerry, to keep learning even when I'm not um, in a formal lesson type um, scenario or whatever. I just get to keep learning from the people that I get to play with. And just to be part of, you know, my one little second oboe part gets to be part of something much bigger. Did you ever feel pressured in college to give up music so that you could focus on your major or your core studies? Um, that's a good question. I would say I didn't have time every semester to do private lessons. Um, but I always had time to be in an ensemble, um, to be part of the orchestra. Um, it also helped. I was really lucky to get a scholarship for musicians who are non-music majors. Um, so to have that encouragement to continue to be involved in that way was also really helpful. You mentioned the, the, the old piano at home. I love that. <laughs> uh, do you have any other memorable or impactful stories that have really helped you to guide your musical journey or um, specific moments or tours that, that stand out? Speaking of lessons in college, one of the semesters I signed up, I must have been the only one or there wasn't a spare grad student or whatever. So I got to take lessons with Jon Snow for a semester. And I had no idea like how big of a deal that was. I knew that he was awesome and he had me do weird things like punch me in the stomach while I'm playing. So you can see like what my you can feel what my diaphragm is doing. And then I'm going to punch you in the stomach while you're playing. So like, it's like <laughs> what? Or I would, I would bring pieces that I couldn't quite play to have him play just so I could sit and listen. Or um, we talked a lot about reads and he like, can't like, Oh, I played on in Carnegie hall with this read, but I'm done with it. You can have it. And I like still have that read, you know, just like what an amazing opportunity that was for me to be in the right place at the right time. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Anything that you want to share? You know, I think during this time of like the whole COVID-19 pandemic and all the uncertainty and just, I have 
been reminded how much I really miss making music with other people. And there's a lot of, you know, fun workarounds with friends and family that we've been able to figure out with, you know, online meetings and video chats and whatever, but um, nothing can really capture that communal music making experience. So I'm really looking forward to this being behind us so we can get that going again. Yeah, you're so right. We as music teachers have been talking about that constantly, that we can come up with all of the distance learning plans that we want to, and you can collaborate using technology and apps, but it's just not the same, is it? Our next guest started her musical studies on piano and clarinet, but with the guidance of her middle school teacher made a change to oboe. As a high school student, she attended music camps and studied the oboe with members of the Minnesota Orchestra. She went on to study music at the University of Minnesota. Currently, she works in the creative field of communications at Breck School, where she is a self-described jack of all trades, managing the school website, social media, and photography. She continues her avocation in music by performing in the Medalist Concert Band and the Exaltate Chamber Orchestra and Choir. I started, my first musical experience was, um, I started piano in second grade. Took piano through seventh grade. I never have loved playing the piano. I don't, I'm too stiff, I think, or something about it. I just, I don't play it as musically as I'd like to, which, you know, I probably could have worked at, but I didn't somehow. Right, and but you have basics learning. I learned read. how to read music and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yep. yeah. And um, in fifth grade, I went. I'm a Bloomington, Minnesota um, product. Um, I went. I started on the clarinet in fifth grade. Um, medalist band um, member Dale Copeland was my band director. Um, he started me on the clarinet, and um, I also played the string bass. And because wow. I was tall, I think yeah, so I played. St- <laughs> right. Right. I played string bass for two years and then it, it's just, you know, too unwieldy to haul around. And You know, in um, our very first episode, we talked to Nancy Dostal, Nick Ellison and Mike Moeller. Yeah. And everybody, everybody remembers their first band director. Oh, yeah. Without yeah. a fault. You know, you forget yeah. other teachers, but you don't forget your no, band director. No. So Dale Copeland. Great. Yeah. And he's yeah. still, I, it's so great to still see him. I actually, um, have played at his church a few times and sat right next to him playing, which oh, is really nice. kind of a, an honor, you know, to be, have that person next to you. Right. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. So started on clarinet, um, two older sisters played clarinet too. Irv Rotenberry, my junior high band director said, Hey, come here. Do you want to try this? And he handed me an oboe and he gave me a book and he said, why don't you go in a practice room and give this a try. And that was the beginning of the oboe playing. So. Um, self-taught, um, played on my own, continued on the clarinet till the end of that school year and went to Bemidji band camp and found out all the things I was doing wrong and, all right. yeah. you know, <laughs> fingerings and stuff. And reads and all and the reads, things. And reads, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I went to, took lessons after a while and, um, studied with, um, the Jefferson oboist for a year and then, we both started taking lessons from um, Angelucci, who was the, um, the Minnesota Orchestra oboist. And I took from him for about a year and a half before I went to college. I was going to say, um, still in high school? Yeah, yeah, still in high yeah. school. Yeah. Mary Kirby took lessons from him forever. So 
um, yeah, he was an interesting guy. I kind of cherish my um, oboe players have the Barrett book, you know, and, and right. um, I have all these markings from Angelucci, which is kind of a treasure actually. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so, so obviously one of your major influences. Yeah. Um, I think the person who had a, the biggest influence on my playing was probably Carl Holub. Hmm. Um, because he, um, I think he changed my embouchure. He changed the kind of reads I played on, all kinds of stuff. So, um, For our was, listeners, tell, tell them who Carl was. So Carl Holub was the second oboist in the Minnesota Orchestra for a long time, um, many, many years. And um, so I would drive to McPhail on Saturdays downtown, the yeah. old McPhail. The old, right. And he lived about a block away, so he would walk over. He always, always had on all black, head to toe, um, turtlenecks <laughs> and black jeans and stuff. So but, currently, where do you perform? I know you're a busy oboist. Um, I play with um, Medalist Band. I also play with um, Exultate, which is a chamber orchestra and choir. And then I sub in a few groups. I sub with, um, with Encore. And I sub in Metropolitan Symphony Orchestra once in a while. And um, so it's fun. Yeah. Well, as someone that can speak to your playing, I really enjoy your oboe playing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. So kind of the central question of this interview is why do you, why do you still make music as an adult? And what's your occupation? What do you, what do you, how do you make, what's your day job? <laughs> um, my day job um, is um, I work in communications at Brick School. I am, um, I kind of am a jack, jack of all trades. I would say that's what my boss calls me. I, I work, I do the website, I do social media. I'm the school's photographer. I, um, it's a very creative job. I do some graphic design. It's really a pretty fun job. So um, I'm kind of missing seeing students right now because my, my job involves a lot of student contact and I'm out in the school, you know, chronicling what's happening every day. And tell, tell us more about like maybe a funny moment or a, a, a important moment in your uh, performing career whether it be a serious moment or a funny moment, any, any stories come to mind? When Mary and I, um, Mary Kirby is my um, partner in both Medalist and Exultate. Um, and we sometimes perform in some pretty tight venues. And, you know, we play a lot of Bach. The sopranos are right behind us. I mean, close enough that the books are bouncing on our heads almost, right, you know? Right, They're touching. And they, they keep saying, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, it's actually, it's wonderful because we, I mean, we're playing what they're singing and it's just kind of fun to be, it's like we're all one unit, you know, and, and it's just, it's really a wonderful experience to have them be that close. And I mean, maybe not the book sponsoring on your head, but, um, but, but it's pretty fun to be yeah. right, in sound with other people. Right. right. I mean, you, you know where to breathe, you know, everything it's just, it's a fabulous experience. Steve Olson had a 37-year teaching career as a band director, primarily at Rosemont High School and Eden Prairie High School. Steve is currently enjoying retirement and is active as a trumpet performer with the Rosemont Community Band, Genesis Jazz Orchestra, and area churches. He also regularly serves as a music adjudicator and clinician. Well, good morning, Steve. It's good to see you virtually. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, virtual <laughs> conversation here. 
virtual conversation. Well, Steve, we've known each other for a long time, and I know you're a trumpet player. I know you went to Concordia College in Moorhead. So tell yeah. us, who did you study with there? Well, I studied with both Russ Pesola, who was the band director, and right. also with J. Robert Hansen, who was the orchestra director. They were both very fine trumpet players and fine teachers, so continued, uh, you know, just a great love of playing the trumpet. And they both had different approaches, and so I was very fortunate to be able to, you know, extract a lot of great information from both of them. So you were inspired enough to go into the profession? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I knew when I went to Concordia, I wanted to be a band director. And I got that when I grew up in Denver. And uh, that just, you know, solidified it for me at Concordia being in that, you know, trumpet eccentric environment with these two trumpet guys <laughs> that were leading the right. main ensembles. <laughs> right, right. So no wonder you wanted to be a conductor, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Your role models, your mentors. Exactly, right. Yeah. So you spend, tell us, you know, briefly about your career as a teacher, uh, music teacher. Yeah, so I had a 37-year career as a public school band director. Uh, most of it was spent in Rosemount, at Rosemount High School. And then I was also at Eden Prairie High School for a number of years. And those two institutions were the main focus of my career. And it was a great career. I mean, I, I was very lucky and fortunate to be where I was at. And I had just great relationships with so many people and great memories and great musical moments and just fun trips and, you know, lots of, lots of really cool things. Just a great career. Very happy. Well, through, through all of that, you continue to play the trumpet. And yeah. so I call you a freelancer because that's what you do <laughs> now. You, you play in a lot of places. So list some of the things you're doing right now. Yeah. So um, I, I, played, I kept my chops going. That was one of the things I learned from my two ensemble conductors in college, as well as trumpet teachers, was in your, your career as a music educator and teacher, keep playing your instrument, keep playing the trumpet, because on those dark days, that's what's going to keep you involved in, in the music end of it all. And that's what's going to, you know, really inspire you to want to stay with the profession and so on. And so I did that. And so um, I've always played in community bands over my entire lifetime. And I continue to do that today. Today, I play in the Rosemount Community Band. And I also play, it's an offshoot, uh, a new offshoot of the Rosemount Community Band called Genesis Jazz Orchestra. And it's a 17-piece big band. And so I play lead trumpet in that. And, just, and then I do a lot of playing in churches and brass quintet and that kind of thing and just and i love it now that i'm retired i've got time to practice so i'm playing more now than i ever have in my entire life isn't isn't that great that you know that's the, awesome you know later in life is the time to really turn it up yeah yes exactly right right maybe you can as a, as a performer as an adult performer you know what what's the motivation now is, is it just the opportunity to share music is it the love of the trumpet. I need, I know so I know a trumpet player that just loves to play the trumpet physically, loves to play the trumpet. You know, it's like something to conquer. <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, it's probably, you know, I I really do love playing the trumpet. And because it is such a physical instrument, it's one of those things that it's been fun experimenting with different 
you know, routines and different playing techniques and so on to see what kind of things come out of it. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, enjoying reading online about, you know, some of these great teachers and how they taught and their specific methodologies. And I've experimented right. with some of that kind of thing. But for me, it's really a love of playing the trumpet. But also, you know, making music is, is really just so much fun. Um, and I think for me, especially, you know, when this music making occurs in an ensemble where I'm friends with everybody in the ensemble. So it's just a, a really enjoyable experience. So I'm playing in these two groups that meet every week. And uh, that's my weekly connection, you know, to humanity and to all my friends. And then we get to also make music together. And especially in the the community concert band, the Rosemont Community Band, you know, it's an all ages group. We've got people in there from their early 20s, many of them are former students of mine, to we've got a fellow in the trumpet section who's in his mid 80s and oh, everything yeah. in between. And, you know, during breaks to talk to these folks and, and to hear some of their stories and to continue that ongoing relationship as friends, but then also you know, that sense of accomplishment when you're working together as musicians, you know, that's just great fun. Our final interview is with Eric Elert, a recent graduate at the University of Minnesota. At the U, Eric was a member of the marching band and also played in concert and jazz ensembles. Eric now has a full-time job as a civil engineer and is continuing to play the trumpet in several ensembles around the Twin Cities, including the Medalist Band. He reminds us that music can be a constant when your life enters a new phase and that it is a bridge that connects us to others. Hi, I'm Eric Elert. I'm a civil engineer at SRF Consulting Group doing highway design, and I am a trumpet player in the Medalist Concert Band in Bloomington. I started my musical journey when I was basically a baby. My parents were both musicians. Um, they were both in the University of Minnesota Marching Band. So that was always something that me and my two older brothers grew up with. My dad would play piano and we'd dance around when sing different songs. And so basically from the onset, I, I was familiar with music and my parents forced me into piano lessons when I was in first grade with my brother. And we went from there, did trumpet in fifth grade. And even, you know, when I was young, it just felt like something that was a given in life. And I didn't really realize that was kind of a special Thing that most people didn't have. Talk to me about studying engineering at the University of Minnesota and still being involved in music. So as part of um, my major, basically I have a certain set list of classes that can only be taken at certain times. And I would take those classes, figure out which semesters I had to take those classes and at what time, and basically figure out which ensembles that I didn't have conflicting and I would audition for them. And the reason I participated in so many groups, and I'll name them in a second, is that I really needed that, um, that outlet of passion that I felt. I really like civil engineering, but music is kind of my artistic expression. It's my freedom. It's my way to meet like-minded people. It's, you know, creating is just something that's entirely different from you know, your, your engineering practice that I do, for example. So I was in the marching band for four years. That was kind of a main staple. 
Along with that, I did symphonic band for a couple of years. I ended up in the wind ensemble my senior year. I did a year of jazz band, so I did jazz two and then jazz one. The fact that I did a different variety of groups was really motivating because I was able to meet a bunch of different types of musicians, even within the band community. And that I think has been really beneficial for me post graduation, so. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, the, the type of student that's in the marching band is very different than the type of student that is maybe in jazz one or the wind ensemble. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. they all have unique uh, ways of of expressing their their musical passions. I think that's really cool. And all of those ensembles have brought me a sort of different perspective on music as well. Uh, as someone who's recently graduated from college and now has that real job, you're continuing to play. Talk to me a little bit about that experience and why you wanted to keep playing after college. I wanted to keep playing after college because almost the same reason that I said in, co uh, in college was that I wanted to be able to have this outlet. And I didn't want to give that up just because I suddenly was outside of an official school academic setting. People think of playing an ensemble as being a full-time member of an ensemble, especially that's how you base it in college, you know? But really, actually at this point, I'm all the groups I play for, I'm subbing in. But I'm playing for a bunch of different things because people always need players and they love to meet new people and have you be a part of the organization even if you can't be a full-time member. I think that's something that people are averse to maybe outside of college because they don't think of that necessarily in the same way as like, oh, I'm in this group. But that, that's not how it, in reality, it plays out. But I would say that um, it's a surprising that how many uh, older musicians want to play with younger musicians. A lot of times you think of these established groups that don't have openings or it's hard to get in, but they want new faces. They want new people to come play with them so that these groups are continuing to adapt, continuing to grow and be relevant even though maybe some of the musicians are older. So for someone like me, I've discovered that a lot of my mentors and playing partners are some people that are maybe twice my age, but they love playing with me because I bring a different perspective and I went to school at a different time and we share that knowledge. And I think a lot of young musicians, once they leave college, especially if they didn't major in it, think, well, these groups are hard to get into. I don't know if I'm gonna relate to these people. And I don't think that's true at all. There's this mutual kind of desire to be a part of something collective together that I've really grown to love as part of this kind of post-collegiate musical experience, so. Wow, some great conversations today. Thank you so much to all our guests. So this has been another episode in? Band in Minnesota. <laughs>